Hello, and welcome to UX Like Us, the podcast for user experience designers, researchers, strategists, and scrum masters. <laughs> I'm your user experience scrum master, Roman Burkott. Joining me as always is Larry King. Larry, how are you? I, whenever you just when you just said the UX scrum master, I just imagined you rolling around the mud with a bunch of other people in like you know rugby shirts and um, <laughs> you know, scrumming it up with the with the with the with the team. I have an association with scrum too. Every time I hear scrum, all I can think of is Ice Cube singing, "We be scrumming." <laughs> <laughs> I'm not familiar with that one. Well, last week's conversation about design ethics was a lot of fun. We were talking about it before I really felt like I had a, a firm position on it. And, you know, I'm kind of glad we did because I think it helped me get a better grasp on how I feel about things. Um, in particular, I do think that, you know, the design field needs ethics desperately. But I also have some reservations around... Um, I guess the the extent to which uh, that's I guess enforced. A guiding body would really be good. Best practices would really be good. Getting ethics into design education would be really good. I'd love to be able to tell you know uh, a new designer or you know uh, somebody who's looking at moving into user experience that you know oh look for a program that has. A specific set of uh, ethical education uh, behind it. Um, but as far as like something, you know, a design union, that kind of thing, I'm not necessarily feeling that. Um, but as it turns out, there's actually some some really good thought work that's already been done there. Um, so we'll link it in the show notes. But um, one of those is Humane by Design. Uh, it's, a, it's a cool uh, framework that proposes, you know, certain... Um, ethical viewpoints or considerations. Um, and there's a couple others. So we'll link those in the show notes and make sure you take some time to to click through to those and check them out. Um, but I think those will be great things for us to follow up on, on in the future. Yeah, I'm all for the uh, ethics and design um, education thing like you, um, like you were talking about. But I think that also needs to be taught in business school and engineering school too, because it's not just our designer's responsibility. Um, you know, there's, like you said, there's, there's three different layers. There's the design layer, there's the business layer, and then there's the technology layer. And all three are, are, are part of that equation of ethics. And if the technology platform layer is the strongest one that influences that, then we need to have that same ethical foundation in the education of engineers as well as business people and designers. So, um, yes. Yes. And as they say, and <laughs> right. Good point. So maybe they just need to be teaching ethics in general. <laughs> maybe that's, maybe that's, maybe that's the key. Very good. We're going to talk a little bit about agile methodologies and what they are and where they came from and if they're any good or not. Interesting, interesting <laughs> questions. And how design works with that because those are the those are the things I think about when I talk about agile and um uh yeah, so Roman, uh speaking of the word agile, when you hear the word agile, what 
immediately comes to your mind? Scrum. Uh, scrum. Agile scrum scrum meetings. Yeah, so... Um, <laughs> scrum meetings, oh God. <laughs> this is... <laughs> this is going to set the tone for the entire conversation, I can tell. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, the scrum ritual. So, I, I guess for a point of clarification, uh, we know that Agile and Scrum are not the same thing. Um, and so, we'll certainly give it our, our best try to, you know, keep keep these things uh, discreet and separate as we discuss them. Um, but at the same time, we don't want to be pedantic about it. And so, uh, I won't, I won't torture you. Uh, and I hope you won't, uh, torture me with that. <laughs> right. Well, I think that most people, if you come up with agile and you ask them what agile is, a lot of people are going to say, well, it's, it's, it's scrum, right? Because if you look at the, you know, the statistics of when people, you know, organizations that are using agile methodologies, over 50% of them are using Scrum, like the hardcore Scrum with all the Scrum rituals and meetings and everything like that. So that is when people think Agile, they honestly mostly think about Scrum. I'm shocked to hear that there's 50% uh, of organizations that are not using Scrum Agile. Yeah, well, actually, so um, in the survey that I'm looking at, it's called the version one 12th annual state of agile report. And this is from last year. Um, it, it reports that agile methodologies, um, 50%, 56% of the people surveyed in here use scrum the next level down there. So the, the that's the 56% is the biggest number. The next number down is 14%. And that is some sort of hybrid of multiple methodologies. So that means people are probably using scrum with some other things, right? Um, <laughs> And then it gets down into some, you know, more granular things. Um, but yeah, Scrum is definitely the the dominant player in the the agile space. Well, I like that uh, the the ones that are not part of the fifty six percent using agile Scrum are using agile Scrum and stuff and something else, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's like agile Scrum or Scrum Bon. You know, if they're using Kanban and Scrum uh, at the same yeah, time, yeah, or, sure, yeah, yeah. So, well, that's the thing. Anytime you bring up you know, Agile or Scrum and, you know, especially from a, a critical perspective, you run into, you know, a couple of things, you know, one is, well, that's not, that's not Agile. Uh, or uh, Scrum is, you know, you're not doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. So that, so I'd like to dig into some other things that came out of the survey. And, and one of the biggest ones that I think is very, very interesting is, what people think they're going to get when they get the agile, right? It's like, you know, so, you know, if I look at this report and the top reasons for organizations to adopt agile methodologies, which in, you know, 56% of the cases, it's Scrum or something else um, related to Scrum. What do you think the number one, the, 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 the top item is? Um, we don't have to write requirements anymore. That's not it. Oh. <laughs> it is accelerating software delivery. So 75% of respondents saying they adapted agile methodologies because they thought it would make them go faster. Interesting, because agile doesn't necessarily mean fast. Like, just as a word, it doesn't necessarily mean fast. No, it does not. It means, it typically means you can, like, you know, 
pivot from one thing to another really quickly, which is something that is actually in the Agile Manifesto. Nothing in the Agile Manifesto says anything about making things go faster. Like <laughs> nothing. I don't think the word fast is even in anywhere in the 12 principles or the, the, the manifesto values. As a, as a business, we want to uh, get us some agile because we want to make the software uh, production faster. Right. So, um, so it's very interesting to me that, you know, executives, you know, are, are usually the ones who are implementing agile because they're, they want to get some sort of outcomes. And one of those outcomes they're looking for is faster because, you know, so we're not moving fast enough. We're not delivering software fast enough. So we're going to go to agile methodology so we can speed things up. And then they expect this. And then, teams fail to be faster and then they figure out what's going on. What's wrong with all these people, right? But the, 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 the original point of Agile was not ever to move faster. It was really about creating better software, not delivering right. crap faster, right? And so I think it's interesting that 75% of respondents were adopting Agile for the thing that the Agile doesn't even say it's going to do. <laughs> That's fantastic. But what I think people are really adapting Agile for, it's really because it's put in place by management because there's a lack of vertical trust in organizations, right? You have a bunch of people making software and you've got management and management doesn't trust the people making the software because they have things in the past where they weren't going fast enough, they weren't delivering on time, blah, blah, blah. And we need, so now like, okay, we're going to go back to our old school management ways and what we can't measure, we can't manage. And so we're going to find ways of measuring and managing this stuff so that we can better figure out what these outcomes are and how fast things are going to happen and blah, blah, blah. And so I feel like the reason why people put in Agile and specifically when I'm talking to Agile here, I'm talking about Scrum, right? Is... They it, it's put in place in management because they don't they don't it's it's because of lack of trust because we don't trust the people to to actually get the work done that they say they're going to do. And well, is it fair to say that companies that are not doing agile are probably doing waterfall? Uh, that is a good question. Um, I get is that is that it is that all we have is waterfall and and, and agile? Are those are the only two ways to make software. I mean, prior to Agile Scrum, I never heard about really any software uh, software creation methodologies at all. It was the the software development lifecycle was governed by various forms of documentation. And I never heard about anybody talking about anything. They didn't call it waterfall at the time. They just said, you got to get your requirements done. That was just the SDLC. Right. Waterfall is like, yeah, the software delivery cycle. It was, it was basically some form of waterfall because everybody had the, you know, probably slightly different ways of doing it, but yet it was all big upfront requirements, big upfront design, throw it over the wall and engineering goes away and makes the thing that you specified at a very detailed level. Mm -hmm. right? So even extreme programming was post agile manifesto. So I remember when people started talking, you know, in my workplace about extreme programming, but that was still an agile methodology. I was doing some research before, you know, when I knew we were going to do this topic tonight. And um, 
I was like looking into popular agile methodologies and, you know, I, you know, we've all heard of scrum, obviously. Um, um, Of course I'm familiar with Kanban and and its roots in the Toyota manufacturing process and things like that. And I'd heard of extreme programming, but I've never really been in a extreme programming sort of situation, but I had something I heard of, but there's like, and, and, and lean software development. I've heard of lean software development with lean startup and lean UX and, and, and things like that. So those were ones I'm familiar with, but there was like a, several others that I'd never actually heard of before, which was like, <laughs> wow, there's, there's a bunch of ways to do, to do agile. I didn't even heard of before something called feature driven development. Um, there's adaptive system, adaptive system development dynamic systems development method and something called crystal clear, which is kind of weird. <laughs> I, I looked this one up. This was the odd one because it's, it's, it's weirdly specific. It's like crystal clear approach is used with teams of six to eight developers. Like they, they've already decided the, the team size without any other context other than you're doing this crystal clear method. Um, so yeah, it's weird. It's a uh, Larry, you don't have to explain crystal clear. I mean, <laughs> it's crystal clear. Right. Is that like crystal reports? Is that the same? same it's more like crystal there? meth. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like uh, the premise of crystal clear that the approach focuses on the people involved in the project, not the processes or artifacts. Yeah, well, which is actually a one of the 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 agile methodology or agile manifestos values, right? Individuals and interactions over peoples and tools, right? So I think I mean that makes sense. That sounds um, that sounds like something, some methodology that's actually trying to adhere to at least some part of the agile manifesto, right? right. And you know, you look through these, and they all have certain certain levels of you know uh, things that they focus on from the agile manifesto that makes sense for you know whatever they you know for, for that particular methodology. But the more I look at the Scrum one. And the more I look at the Agile Manifesto, I sometimes find it hard to find where these Scrum processes actually fit into the Agile Manifesto at all, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like for me, the very first, you know, design principle or what we value under the Agile Manifesto is individuals and interactions over processes and tools, right? But what is Scrum? Scrum is just a bunch of processes and tools, (laughs) <laughs> and that's really all it is, right? It's, it, it's, it doesn't really address the individuals and interactions at all. It's just a bunch of processes and tools, which is fascinating to me. Right. Um, now, I'm not saying you don't need processes and tools. And, and I don't think the Agile Manifesto is saying that, oh, we don't ever have any processes and tools. It's only individual. Just like we, 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 we value that over processes and tools. But Scrum is like, it's valuing processes and tools, <laughs> Like pretty heavily, it's fantastic. I, I it's like when you're in a in a workshop and people uh, use the yes and technique with uh, malicious intent. We value individuals and interactions over processes and tools. Yes, and here's a list of thirty meetings you have to attend every week. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So that's the thing that, yeah, that's like in, fascinating to me is like, number one, that the Scrum methodology is the dominant agile methodology. And yet it doesn't even 
it's diametrically opposed to one of the, 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 the very first values that the agile manifesto tries to expose, espouse. Um, I thought that was very, very interesting. I agree. But for the purposes of this conversation, let's just go, let's lump all of the agile methodologies together. I mean, I think, I think scrum has very specific things that, you know, we can pick on and we can beat up, but again, if there's the, you know, the somewhat false dichotomy of you're either waterfall or you're some flavor of agile. So then let's, let's evaluate agile in terms of what was originally proposed, uh, in 2001. Shall we go over the, just the values or should you want to just go through the, go straight to the agile manifesto principles? Well, you know what? That's interesting. I had never previously realized that there, uh, there was a separately called out, uh, values, uh, as opposed to the principles. So I, I think we'd probably better pick through both. So you, you did the first value. Okay. Yeah. So agile manifesto, there's basically four, I, I kind of, they're kind of like design principles in my, in my book, but it's the things that they value. Right. So number one, individuals and interactions over processes and tools, mean, meaning, Hey, we're talking about, we don't want to put a bunch of heavy processes and tools in place to, to, to get in the way of people, you know, just collaborating. Right. It's, you know, it's, 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 it's really value valuing that collaboration, that human collaboration between people. Um, and, I am like a, a big believer in this one, right? This is sure. like huge for me. I think I, I much value, I've, the most successful teams that I've ever worked on where were ones that were just highly collaborative and didn't do a lot of process and tools. Um, you know, not that processes and tools are, are necessarily bad, but, you know, minimizing them as much as possible, not relying on them as the, the primary thing way of getting things done. It's really about the individuals getting the right people in the bus and, and being highly collaborative and, 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 and going that route. So I really, um, th this first value for me is, is a really, really good one. I'm just not sure how like a, a methodology like scrum actually <laughs> actually um, lives that uh, particular value. Well, especially if you wind the clock back, you know, 18 years to when this was emerging, business cultures were much more hierarchical. And so there was a lot of cultural stuff around, whoa, 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 you can't talk to him. That's not the process. First, you have to submit a report to her, and then she'll talk to him, and then he'll file a report back. You know that. So, doing away with all that and just allowing people to talk to each other—brilliant. Um, you know, you got to have the, the 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 guy that takes the requirements from the customer <laughs> and gives it to the developers because they're a people person, right? <laughs> I have people skills. <laughs> Working software over comprehensive documentation. Um, uh, I am also a big believer in this. Um, I think that, you know, working software is the thing that should be, you know, the the thing that is the, the artifact. That's all we're all working for. We're not working for documentation. Yet, you need some level of documentation, especially um, in a large organization where you're working on software, where you need to, like, you know, 
pass information from one person to another. You know, people have to understand what the, all the APIs are there and why they're written that way and why the architecture was done this way and what's it trying to support and what are the value, you know, the values inherent in the system that we're trying to, you know, support so that when, you know, when we're building on top of it, we are having sort of that same philosophy on how to do things. Otherwise, people are going to like look at something and if it's not well documented, they're going to be like, I don't know what value this is, so I'm just going to build it my own way, something I understand, right? <laughs> and so sure. some level of documentation is 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 actually um, um, really important. But at the same time, the individuals and interactions are also more important as well as, you know, the working software. And, I, and I'm, I'm a big believer in the, you know, individuals and interactions creating working software and then you know, documentation as, as needed to, you know, make sure that we're not just relying on tribal knowledge for everything. Agreed. This really seems to build on the first one that if you're having human interactions and working as a team, then you can get away with some more lightweight documentation. Doesn't mean no documentation. It just means that, you know, hey, if you don't get every single little detail written down, then you can just turn to the person sitting next to you and say, oh, what What did you want to happen when I click this button? Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because, um, you know, we've all run into this in, you know, in, well, maybe not all of us, but I've run into this a lot in my design history of going through and specking out everything to in a very, very uh, high detail in some big design document after you've created a bunch of wireframes and prototypes and stuff, <laughs> and then goes through a design review and, oh, we need to change X, blah, 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 blah. And then you have to go back and go back and redo your wireframes, redo all the documentation, go back, do it again. And go, that process is the most painful thing ever. And just like being able to sit with a, a developer and say, okay, you know, it goes like this. And they're like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. You know, just talking through it is way better and way easier. And then it kind of becomes real. And then there's less, <laughs> less ability for that product manager company. It's like, what are you doing? What is this? It's like, well, no, it's a, we already made it. It works. See, look, you know, and it doesn't, and, and you also don't have that, um, you know, uh, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words and, you know, a product manager is going to find the five words that, that they think that project picture says and some other person is going to say, you know, um, have another interpretation of what they're seeing. And when you can make it real, there's no interpretation because it's actually real and it's doing the thing that you actually intended. Is there anything worse than going back and like updating your mock-ups at the same time that the developer is updating the working software <laughs> just because it has to be documented. Oh yeah, exactly. And this is exactly the thing that this value is getting at. It's that, that very situation, right? It's like, it doesn't make any sense. You know, once we've decided that this is the behavior we want, just make the software do that and, and document, you know, what the, all the underlying method stuff underneath that's making that happen and the IPIs and junk like that. But at the same time, you don't need to, have the design documentation completely match this this front end, you know, the, the 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 behavior of the software because at that point the behavior of the software is the thing that you want, not the documentation. But I think it's the next one that really is revealing to the mindset that led to the agile manifesto, which is customer collaboration over contract negotiation. Yeah, this is always the weird one for me because I'm like I'm like looking at this and I'm like, okay, this is 2001. What, what what are they what are they saying here right what, what's actually going on 
and this has to come from like some sort of uh, some I I just like I have bad dreams of government contracting of my past <laughs> with with a with, with a statement like that. That's exactly right. This sounds like uh, the agile manifesto was born out of, uh, for one, a very enterprise environment. The consulting, the contractors. Right. The the consulting firm coming in, building software on behalf of a customer, wherein you can't even start the project until all the requirements are written because the requirements are the contract. And we have to make sure that there's zero uncertainty left because it's a contract. Oh, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so I, I think that's really interesting and kind of revealing because since then, Agile has been pressed into lots of different environments and lots of different situations, presumably because of you know successes that have been observed elsewhere. But I I don't think that that was necessarily the kind of environment where this was intended to to solve. So I think that if you were looking at your requirements as a contract negotiation with a customer who has to, you know, sign off the the software they delivered does exactly X, Y, and Z. um, That's a little bit different than like when you're in-house and when you're building, except that at the time that still seemed to be the, the prevailing attitude, right? It was like, well, until you lock down the requirements document, this giant stack of paper, we're not even going to start on it. It can't even be prioritized. Yeah. And I think maybe this value is the one that has had the most positive impact in software development um, uh, across all types of software development. And because like even the government doesn't work like this anymore, right? Um, because of all of the insanely terrible failed projects that came out of, you know, doing things exactly this way. And, um, and it's, I, I just really feel like, yeah, this is the, this is the one that's had the, the, the most positive impact. Um, and it's been embraced even by the, the, the federal government any, you know, anymore. So, um, kudos to the agile manifesto for that one. <laughs> But it's interesting because it's, 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 it talks about customer collaboration, but doesn't really talk about the user collaboration or, you know, focusing on user needs or anything like that. So, um, and maybe that's just another step in, in, in that value, another, you know, one, one deeper on that. Um, but um, yeah, that's the, that's the one that I think is, is probably, yeah, probably had a lot of impact. But the next one is probably my favorite and probably <laughs> the business's favorite one. <laughs> and that is responding to change over following a plan. Because <laughs> you know what? Executives, you know, they, they hate this. They want you to have a plan and they don't want to hear it when your plan doesn't make sense, Right. They want, they want this, this outcome, but when they want the plan to change, oh boy, they want you to be responding to that change as quickly as possible. Right. Sure. sure. So, so, um, I, I think this one's interesting because it gets used for some of the wrong reasons, right? The, the original intent for this was, Hey, we, you know, because we're closely collaborating with customers 
and we're getting working software into their hands as quickly as possible, we can see that whether or not that works out for them and we can make pivot and we can make changes and, and change those requirements at the last minute based upon learnings that we have going through this process. And that's the type of change that this value is really um, trying to espouse, right? Um, being able to, you know, respond to the change that you need to do um, and as opposed to, you know, the, the, the waterfall plan, right? Um, but then that's the thing that in my experience, you know, uh, the management likes to grasp onto when they, you know, they have a, a client that yells really loud or they, the CEO just inked this new deal that has you know, <laughs> several million dollars of, of re- recurring revenue or, um, you know, any, any number of reasons that the executives can come down and just change the plan at will. And so this one is, uh, I think a little dangerous and, and can be used for not necessarily, uh, positive purposes. Right. It does seem to be a bit of a club that's wielded by those with authority and as a weapon against everybody else. I think the original intent here was more for the team, the people making a product, making software, are able to adjust uh, along the way. But to your point, right, uh, people in authority want to be able to come in and say, actually, instead of doing that, we're going to do this thing. Uh, and you don't get to complain about it because that's what Agile's for. But should you, you know, as the team propose, hey, actually, we're we're going to go in a little bit different direction. Like, whoa, 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 whoa! What about the what about the plan? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So if if we're notionally agreed on these values, though, which you know, personally speaking, I, I think they all sound quite good. If, if we're agreed on the values, then the Agile Manifesto goes on to lay out 12 principles. Basically, these are the things that you should be doing if you agree with the values. So um, let's let's dig into those. Okay, there's 12 of them. So let's uh, let let's let's go. Um, <laughs> uh, principle number one: quote Our highest priority is to satisfy the customer through early and continuous delivery of valuable software. Satisfied the customer. Yes, the the customer. Okay. So uh, presumably if you're working like in-house, then the customer would be the business unit for which you're producing versus if you're, if you're producing software for uh, an actual like client in a, a consultant type situation. Yeah. Well, I think we can like, you know, you know, you can be very precise about the language here. It's like, what do they mean by customer? There, a customer could be the buyer. The customer could be not necessarily the person making the buying decisions, but the person getting the value out of the software. The customer could be the actual person using the software. <laughs> um, so it's like customer is a very vague um, sort of word, in in my opinion. It's not as precise as like was like you know the buyer or the benefactor or the actual and the the person using the software right so um it's 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 hard to tell what they were talking about with that or if they were being purposely um inclusive by using the the word customer or if they actually meant sort of the person making the purchasing decisions or holding the purse strings 
Well, if the agile principle is to prioritize uh, satisfying the customer through early and continuous delivery of valuable software, mm -hmm. this would suggest that you should be instrumenting to measure that customer satisfaction and instrumenting to measure the value of the working software uh, or, or measure the value of the software that you're delivering from the very beginning. And that's not something that I've necessarily seen as a, a core aspect of Scrum or really any of the others. Like I don't, uh, I, I don't see a lot of teams talking outside of uh, lean software development about uh, what is valuable to the customer. How you know are they satisfied, and is this moving us in the right direction? Right. I think yeah, the lean the lean methodology is the only one that I've sort of encountered that really puts this. Thing, this one at a very high point, you know, high position in the methodology itself. It's, it's like, it's making sure that we're shipping software to customers quickly and learning from that delivery. And again, if you're aligned with the values and you believe in the principles, then regardless of your specific methodology, you should be doing these things. You should be measuring your customer satisfaction and you should be defining and measuring the value of the software that you're producing. So Agile principle number two, welcome changing requirements, even late in development. Agile processes harness change for the customer's competitive advantage. Ah, see, now this goes a little farther than the value statement earlier. Agile processes harnesses change for the customer's competitive advantage, not for the the executive's whim. Interesting. Uh <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's, uh, I think Eric Reese said it, uh, that we'll never know less than we know right now. So to me, this was always aimed at solving for the fact that if we do big requirements up front, if we do big design up front, and we you know lock everything in with an airtight contract with every single detail spelled out, then um, there's no way for us to adjust as we go and as we learn more. It's, I think this is the, the biggest sign that an organization is really just doing mini waterfall than agile is when they can't, you know, really handle changes in requirements. They're not really getting that quick feedback from customers into the, the, the software development process. Um, they're doing big design up front, right? And that's what, that's the, that's the opposite of this number two one, right? So number three, principle number three in the agile manifesto, deliver working software frequently from a couple of weeks to a couple of months with a preference to the shorter time scale. So this <laughs> one's a very interesting one to me, right? Because if you look at most scrum teams or organizations that run scrum, they just like, okay, what are we going to, we're going to do uh, two week sprints. Uh, are we going to do three week sprints for the ones that can't think they can do something in two weeks or is it going to be one week sprints? Okay. And they just do it across all their teams. It's two weeks. It's three weeks. It's, it's one week. Right. Um, but for me, it's it's that's always crazy because it's like, if the goal is demonstrating working software, why do we have this arbitrary deadline, right? It's like, is two weeks the the unit of measure for any software feature that you can work on? But it, it's not, right? So, you know, some tasks are going to take more than two or three weeks to demonstrate working software. Some are going to be you can do in a day, right? So, 
why do organizations have this monolithic sprint mentality across their entire organization or even on the same team? Right. It like that, that that's always been baffling to me. And I think it goes back to that management need to try to at least pretend to predict outcomes. Right. It's like, Oh, we can go through the scrum process. We can do our sprint planning. We can say, okay, we're going to get these four sprints done in this amount of time. But then what ends up happening is you'd have the sprint retrospective and you're like, well, we go through the developer list and the developer's like, well, I don't have anything to demonstrate because it wasn't enough time to actually make working software. So here's what I did this week, <laughs> right? And that happens a lot, you know, depending on what type of task it is. Now, you know, there's, you know, there's front-end developers like, oh yeah, they, I can whip out like the the UI for this particular page. It's, just, it's not wired up and it doesn't actually do anything yet because it's not wired up to the middleware. But you know, here, here's, a, here's the working page for this particular feature. But like some other software tasks, it's like you just can't put this into a two-week sprint and then expect to have something demonstrable. Even if you break it down even to smaller chunks, a lot of the times it's 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 still not enough to actually show demon you know a working code in that particular time scale this strikes me as a crutch for management i think it was i think peter drucker said something along the lines of the work will always expand to fill the time allotted and so taking that you know uh, philosophy in mind if you say, oh, well, this can take as you know long as it takes, then they feel like, oh, people are just going to drag their feet. If you allow a two or three week sprint, then, you know, rather than becoming a forcing mechanism to get us to, you know, demo working software more frequently, it could actually work against you and provide more, you know, cushion or padding for people to take time because they see, oh, I've still got, you know, a week left. I mean, think about all the burn, burn down charts that you've seen where it's always like basically nothing, 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 nothing. And then the last Friday of the sprint, it's, oh yeah, we got everything done. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the interesting <laughs> thing about this one. Cause like the, nowhere in number three, does it say, and it has to be the same sprint length every single time for every single team in in the company, right? On the, or on the project. It doesn't say that anywhere, but yet in every scrum process I've ever seen in any of the organizations, like, oh, what are we doing? Are we doing three week sprints? We're going to do two week sprints. Okay. We're going to do two week sprints. And that, and that's, that, that's the end of it. Right. And it's, it, that's, that is for the benefit of management and it's not the, for the benefit of the actual software development, in my opinion. Well, there's something to be said for having a, a rhythm, a, a predictable routine, but if anything, number three would seem to be hedging against uh, number four, which is business people and developers must work together daily throughout the project. And in my experience, this is pretty onerous um, depending on you know what, what all responsibilities like your product management and your UX team have. The idea that we're going to you know, work elbow to elbow with the developers is great when we're actually in a like production, get it built kind of mode. But when we're going out on customer visits and handling you know, complaints and launching surveys and running usability tests and just all the other stuff that product and UX have to do, um, it gets really, really hard when you're expected to be you know, working together daily. So I kind of get the sense that the sprint structure is a way of creating some rhythm to where we could say, 
okay, so, you know, the first, you know, if it's a two-week sprint, I can spend, you know, the first, you know, seven days, um, you know, working with the developer, but then I can kind of get away and start working on some designs for next sprint. Yeah, so I look at this one, and I, I take what you said, and then that, that kind of fits into the sort of scrum process. But I take a look at this one, and I think about it in, in a very different way. Um, and this has sort of been the way I've been forming my my idealized um, vision of how product development works. And it's the fact that we don't have a product, we don't have a product management team and a design team and an engineering team, right? We have a product team with different people with different skill sets that organize into smaller teams to, to solve certain customer problems, right? Um, I think the mindset of having a product management team versus engineering versus design is, is a barrier because what happens is people automatically assume, oh, this is, you know, this is what you're going to do. And this is what you're going to do based upon your title. And this is what you're going to do based upon your title. And those barriers aren't as black and white as that, right? There's, there's people with varying skill sets and we should put together, you know, teams of people that are, you know, that, in, that complement each other and are going to be good together into solving this particular set of customer problems that we're going to. So when I see business people and developers must work together, I would like to rather this to say business people, developers, and designers all work together on a product team in various combinations based upon their skill set and, 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 and organizing that way. Because in the end of the day, we're all responsible for de delivering customer value. One team, engineering can't do it by themselves. Product management can't do it by themselves. Design can't do it by themselves. It's all one product team doing this. And I, I like to, and I think this one um, really speaks to the sort of the, the, um, the, the concept of the balanced team approach, right? Where you have small te small cross-functional teams that work together that are work as a team, not as, well, three different teams that happen to have to collaborate together to, to make product happen. Again, if you agree with the values and if you agree with the principles, then you should be organizing your teams according to the principles and not choosing your principles according to how you want to organize your teams. And I think really kind of the, the key word here is that work together daily throughout the project. And because we have full-time developers on staff, we tend to look at it as, you know, we got to keep the trains running. Never let the developers sit there doing anything that isn't writing code. But I think a, a much better way to look at it, like you say, is that we're all responsible for building product, which means we're all responsible for talking to customers and for uh, designing solutions at whatever degree of fidelity. And um, when when the project is done, the project is done. And we don't necessarily have to just like try to keep ourselves busy and stay on this, on this rhythm. Together daily throughout the project. That doesn't mean designers, you know, making <laughs> moving pixels, developers, writing code, product managers, you know, doing whatever the hell they do. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, uh. Uh, I just cannot stop digging on them. Um, <laughs> you know, oh, I, that's right. Doing, putting together product roadmaps. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so let's move on to number five. Number five, build projects around motivated individuals. Give them in the environment and support they need and trust them to get the job done. Wow, this is easier <laughs> said than done, right? Because um, that yep. presupposes that you have motivated individuals. <laughs> 
and not well, just people yeah. that are there for a job, right? Um, so that's an interesting one. I'm a bit of a of a Drucker fanboy, but again, this is one where he said, if you need something done, give it to the busy guy because he'll have to get it done just to get it out of his way so he can handle what needs to be done. And that's a, it, it's true, but it's also just such a good way to burn people out. And so the idea that, you know, you should build your project around the people who are just going to go get it. Uh, you know, it, it's good in theory, you know, uh, since, you know, scrum is built on a sports metaphor. Okay. Give the ball to the guy that's going to get it across the goal line. I look at this one and I look at the second sentence, um, that give them the environment and support they need and trust them to get the job done. And the trust part of that is the big one for me. Um, and if I go back to the, um, is scrum actually agile conversation from earlier, um, Scrum is, in my opinion, put there in place by management because they don't ha- trust the team to actually get things done. And um, uh, I really like the fact that, you know, this principle espouses the, hey, we need to get to the point where we can actually trust the teams to like, here is a set of customer problems to go solve. You go solve them, right? And and having that trust that they'll be able to go, you, you've assembled the right team, you've gotten the right skill sets together to go solve these problems, and you trust the team, the members that you have to go actually be able to go do that. Um, now, not saying that you don't do any sort of like check-in with them or some monitoring monitoring of their of their progress, but man, not the the overhead that Scrum does on that is just like, yeah, we do, yeah, we don't we don't trust you guys. Yeah, you have to ask yourself: is the is the daily stand-up for the benefit of the team to ask for help to get the support? and trust that they need to get the job done? Or is it for the benefit of management to say, yep, they're busy and they appear to be making progress? But of course that rolls into the next principle, number six, the most efficient and effective method of conveying information to and within a development team is a face-to-face conversation. And thus that's the uh, the, the stand-up on a daily basis, right? So I, I, I kind of feel like this one's a relic of, the, uh, of 2001 because you know, uh, distributed teams are much more common now than they were back then. And we have way better collaboration tools than we had back in the past, (laughs) right? Than 2001, like 2001, we barely had web applications. And now we have a rich set of tools to be able to, you know, track bugs, track, you know, uh, you know, uh, user stories and epics and, and, and Kanban tools and, and you know collaborative wikis and notes and there's all kinds of things and 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 video chat and slack and just you know things like you know on online whiteboards and sticky notes like mural you know we just have all these things that we didn't have back then and so the face to face part of it i think can be a um a, there, there there i think there's other proxies for 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 having that uh um um that conveying information back and forth. Now the problem is still you still have is the 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 classic problem of people that are co-located on a team versus people that are on that same team that are working remote and that's that always causes you know problems because the people that have the interactions you know that are co-located the people that are remote often miss things. Yeah, I'm not one to be dogmatic about this, especially when it comes to Agile and Scrum, but I do believe that a face-to-face or a virtual face-to-face meeting 
is better. Like when you try to do a, a Slack uh, stand up where everybody's just typing something, uh, I feel like there's a lot lost there. Again, you're, you're doing a good job of conveying the I need help or I'm blocked kind of information, but it, it just, it seems like it's, uh, it's not as effective. What I find fascinating though, is that Agile itself doesn't require us to do a stand up meeting where we're standing up. Nope. It doesn't say anything here about being daily. Nope. Doesn't say anything about it being 15 minutes. Nope. It just says that this is the most efficient and effective method for conveying information. Let's moving on to number eight. Agile processes. Oh, are we on? Oh, I'm sorry. Seven. Working software is the primary measure of progress. So this one is the one I'm going to completely disagree with. Um, I do not believe working so software is the primary measure of progress. I think delivering customer value is the primary measure of progress because working software does not necessarily mean it is solving any sort of customer problem whatsoever. Hell yeah. That goes straight back to that old waterfall mentality of, hey, I built what the requirement said, even if it doesn't you know, work the way the customer needs it to, I did what the requirements said. So I think this one actually kind of conflicts with value number one, where our highest priority is to satisfy the customer through early and continuous delivery of software. So the primary, uh, yeah, th I think this one's just like complete. I just, yeah, I cannot get behind this one at all. Uh, it is not the primary measure of progress. The primary measure of progress. And if you look at like the lean methodology, uh, it talks about this specifically. It's like the the primary measure of progress is delivering that value to the customer. Now, I will say that it's a better measure of progress than your daily stand-up and your burn-down charts and everything else that you get out of Jira and version one. Uh, you know, does, does the software actually work? Okay, then that's a lot better than, well, we worked really hard and we closed all our tickets. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Agile principle number eight. Agile processes promote sustainable development. The sponsors, developers, and users should be able to maintain a constant pace indefinitely. Indefinitely? Whoa. What does that mean? <laughs> I, I really, I, I'm really struggling when I was like, you know, preparing for this podcast. I was really struggling to understand what they even mean with this. Other than the two-week sprint should happen every two weeks, no matter what, and keep going forever and ever and ever. Well, allow me to mansplain this to you. Thank you. <laughs> As somebody who happens to be training for a half marathon, I can tell you that, you know, running several miles is really difficult, but I could run 100-meter sprints all day long and into the night and the next day and the next day and the next day indefinitely. I mean, sprinting, psh, easiest thing in the world, right? Yeah. You just have to do it again <laughs> right afterwards. Right after you did the first one and then do it again and then again. But you know, here again, it's the, the, the agile manifesto departs from scrum. Like agile is not saying it has to be a sprint. It just says that it should be sustainable and that you should be able to keep your pace going indefinitely. doesn't say anything about a sprint. doesn't say about go as fast as you possibly can. So, yeah. So I think you've just, I think you've sold this on to me now. Now I get this. It's like, it should promote a sustainable development. 
And as soon as you like compare that to Scrum, where it's like not actually sustainable because it's just over and over and over again. So I, I get this one now. It's the sustainable part. That's the key word in that one. Yeah, and I, I don't even necessarily fault Scrum for that. I mean, just because you call it a sprint doesn't mean we necessarily want you to be sprinting. But I think again, words are important. They make a difference. And if you say, "Hey, we've got we've got three sprints to deliver this software." then that's just priming you for like, oh, I'm going to burn the midnight oil. I'm going to burn myself out and I'm going to get this done. And as soon as, you know, the release is over, it's okay, let's do it again. Ah, so that brings us to number nine. Continuous attention to technical excellence and good design enhances agility. So when I read this, I was like, okay, so this is 2001 and they're probably talking about design of software, not capital D D software, you know, designer design, right? Right, more what I would call architecture. Right, yeah, designing the software, not designing, yeah, designing the technical architecture or whatever, right? But if if this does mean the former and the latter, both, you know, software, good software design, architecture code, blah, 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 and capital D design, then I wholeheartedly agree, right? Good product design is, you know, something that's going to enhance agility because, number one, it's going to reduce the amount of rework you have to do, right? It's like when you don't actually deliver the value that you thought you were going to deliver, then you have to do rework. And then that that slows you down. So I think this is actually a case where it does make you go faster or at, or at the same time, it actually makes your software better because you actually have good design both in software and, you know, in, 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 in the design side of things, the UX, you know, user experience side of things or whatever. Um, because you don't have to do the rework, right? And, or you deprioritize the rework because it's like, well, it's good enough, we have, but we have to move on to these other five features that we sold to this client. And so. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. If you hit your deadlines, your delivery windows, by piling up technical debt or design debt or really any other kind of debt that is actively working against the stated goal of agility, right? Your ability to pivot and do something new because management especially is going to say, well, the, our, our plan was to do something, was to build software that does something. And all we want to do is just tweak it a little bit and go in a slightly different direction. And that should be, that should be easy, Right. But no, because we've got a bunch of duct tape and bubble gum on the back end that's going to prevent us from doing that. Now, number 10 is uh, one of the ones that I really like, which is simplicity. The art of maximizing the amount of work not done is essential. Right. And this one always reminds me of the, the, um, the often misquoted Einstein quote where, you know, the solution should be as simple as possible, but no simpler. He actually didn't say that. (laughs) (laughs) What he actually said is like this big, long paragraph that I wish I had in front of me because I've used it actually in a presentation for for, uh, content strategy at one time. But it's like this big, long paragraph, and then somebody just paraphrased it to to simple as possible, but no simpler. But that's actually a really good principle, right? It's like, you know, we want things to be as simple as possible because, you know, maintaining complex code bases is really complex. You know, putting really complex UIs in front of customers is really complex and increases the learning curve and it makes it harder to, to, to... to, for them to learn and maintain and, 
and do their jobs, right? But there's a certain amount of complexity that has to be in the system because they need to be able to actually do the things they need to do, especially when it comes to enterprise software, right? So it's that balance of, you know, um, you know, things that people need to be able to accomplish, but at the same time being, you know, trying to not to put unneeded complexity into the system. Maximizing the amount of work not done is great in principle, but it's optimizing for the wrong outcome. We're not trying to optimize how little our developers can do. We're trying to get the simplest solution for the customer. Right. I, I, I kind of like to... <laughs> this would be a good one to use in one of those, uh, uh, you know, design thinking workshops where you're trying to do the anti-pattern where it's like, what's the most complex way we can do this, right? <laughs> and and then use that as an exercise to extrapolate out, well, what's, you know, what's the actual way we should do this that doesn't get through all this really stupid <laughs> complexity that we just came up with and uh, had a lot of fun coming up with, right? So I, I, I think that's a, uh, that, that's a, uh, I, I like simplicity. I like elegance. But again, it's, it's, for me, it's like, it's, there, there is a certain amount of complexity and you have to, you know, it's, it's, it's when you add unneeded complexity that, 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 that things get out of whack. The simplest solution is to make the customer do all the work. Uh, <laughs> I, I, yeah. I think that's not within the spirit of the, of the principle. Agreed. Yeah, we. <laughs> you could also take. Yeah, I could see how you know engineering could take it the other way. It's like, well, we're just going to do the simple thing and make the customer do all the work. And it's like, well, wait a minute, that's actually backwards for why software is actually, you know, valuable <laughs> right. to people. Right. Um, <laughs> anyway, let's move on to number eleven. The best architectures, requirements, and designs emerge from self-organizing teams. Self-organizing? What does that even mean? The opposite of what actual most management cultures do, right? <laughs> most organizational management cultures don't do this. Their teams aren't self-organizing typically. Most of the time, it's 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 a mandated, right? It's a top-down mandate that, oh, here is this team. We've we've analyzed all the people that we have, and this is the team that needs to go, you know, this is the team that needs to do this, and this is the team that needs to do this, and that's all the only way it works, right? Yeah, I'm not clear if that means like the team that's actively working on the project within that constraint gets to self-organize. In other words, here's the 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 20 people that are allocated to this project. Now you guys go figure out how you want to, you know, divide things up. Or is this just saying like company-wide, you get to wander around and say, "Ooh, your project looks fun. I'm going to work on that." <laughs> yeah. Well, so it's interesting because, like, I can't see a, 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 you know, a fully functional large organization that works like you just described, right? But at the same time, I have been on teams where I kind of handpicked, you know, not being in management, just like saying, "Hey, oh yeah, you uh, just developer guy over here, you know, here's the thing that we, we, we've been, you know, you've been, we've been talking about making. I think that, you know, the two of us would work really well together and, and, and go do this thing. And I've gotten buy-in to do that. So there's been a, I've seen some self-organization that actually kind of worked pretty well. Um, I think that again, we don't see this happen a lot because of the distress of management and management saying, Oh no, we have to like come in and make, you know, a bunch of top down, decisions to organize this to make things work 
when if you get the right people on the bus, and that's probably the key part, right? If you get the right people on the bus with the right mix of talents and skill sets and culture and um, backgrounds, you could probably do more self-organization than, 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 than what we think. Well, it definitely aligns with uh, principle number five, talking about giving the work to the motivated in- individuals. So motivated individuals certainly, you know, merit the uh, the opportunity to do self-organization. Like you're saying, I mean, how, how many uh, business critical products and ideas came out of a skunk works where technically speaking, those employees were stealing time away from their assigned priorities in order to work on something that they knew was great. Um, but again, that's somewhat, you know, undermining management. And I, I think even beyond distrust, there's just one of those things where it's like, well, we have six different projects that are all priority one. So I have to divide my, you know, head count, uh, across these six projects. Um, and that's just how it is. Well, I think another Example of this is, you know, sort of, you know, the Google's 20% time where you have 20% to work on whatever project you want, you know, and there was, you know, there's a lot of self-organizing things that happened around that and things like Gmail came out of that. So I, I, I can see that part of it, but also like the whole culture of hackathons, right? It's like a hackathon is, you know, people going out and, you know, sort of self-organizing and and coming up with these crazy, you know, ways of, of solving problems and, and doing that. So I, I see examples of number 11 actually working um, I don't see a lot of examples of that being embraced in the formal structure of a uh, product organization, though. I certainly haven't seen that as part of uh, specified Scrum or other uh, development uh, agile methodologies. Agile development principle number 12. At regular intervals, the team reflects on how to become more effective, then tunes and adjusts its behavior accordingly. Oh, you mean have a retrospective after every single sprint and don't invite management? I, I thought that was pretty clear from uh, from what it said there. Oh, oh no, wait, that's that, that scrum. <laughs> oh my god, the whole we can't invite management because we can't be open. Oh my god, that like so I, so I don't know if that's like is that part of scrum or is that just like scrum that I've encountered in the past because I think that is the biggest sign of dysfunction that I've ever heard. Right. It's like, Oh, we can't invite management to our retrospective because otherwise we won't be open. Well, if that's the case, then you have, we have bigger problems and bigger cultural problems um, that I don't think. um, And, and what ends up happening is you, you cut, you cut management out of that. And like, if you have, good management, they're going to help the team actually use that reflection to actually tune and adjust their behavior accordingly. What I've seen is, you know, they have the retrospective, they have it in secret, they have it with themselves, they may put out a bunch of bullet points afterwards, and then nothing changes. Yeah, if you don't have the psychological safety to get in a room and talk about what went well and what could have been done better and what we're going to try next time, then that seems very problematic. Because in my book, that's like, that is what management should be doing. That should be 
coaching and 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 removing barriers so that the team can become better, that they can self reflect and and adjust their behavior accordingly, and and have management be able to support that. But like locking them out of that meeting is just like it's 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 madness to me. Yeah, remember that principle number six is that the most efficient and efficient and effective method of conveying information to and within a development team is face-to-face conversation. I don't think that goes away when you start trying to talk to talk about you know management, um, and for that matter, if if your feedback is you know oh what went poorly this sprint, our our product owners a dick, <laughs> you know like that's. <laughs> that's problematic. Like you can't, that's not the way that should work. And I'm a pretty hardcore introvert too, but nevertheless, I, I just, I, I, I don't think that that's the kind of thing that we should keep under wraps. I totally agree. Um, but you did bring up the, the specific ritual of scrum, which is to have your retrospective after each sprint. And again, that's one of those things that I think notionally speaking, I like a lot. I like, you know, that we go back and we, you know, um, break things down and figure out how we can approve. I think for me, the issue with that is that it's typically like, you know, uh, oh, hey, you know, Bill's going to do a better job of updating his tickets or, you know, what have you. I think if the whole idea is to align to uh, delivering customer satisfaction by creating valuable software, then again, that retro should be aligning to those metrics. And when we talk about, hey, what are we going to try next sprint to make this run better? That's a hypothesis. And therefore, that should have metrics wrapped around it to help us understand whether we succeeded or failed during the next sprint. And I've never seen that done. I, I've never seen that done either. And I 100% agree with you. That should be the core thing of the retrospective. Did we deliver value? If not, why? And what can we do to make sure that happens in the future? Uh, I, I love that. And how do we know if we succeeded? Yep. Yep. So after going through all these principles, so... Some some takeaways that I have, I didn't see anything mm-hmm. about Fibonacci numbers or <laughs> or <laughs> estimating software for sprints. I didn't see anything about Jira. Jira's not even mentioned. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Well, I mean, that was just <laughs> Im- Im- implied, right? Like, of course you're going to use Jira. Stories and epics and 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 Fibonacci numbers not 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 a part of the Agile <laughs> manifesto. That's that's fascinating to me. It is actually very interesting that Agile itself doesn't say anything about estimation. And we spend so much time and effort on estimation. It's really interesting to me how that's considered like a core aspect of the job these days. If you can't trust your teams to actually deliver, then we have, then management wants to put in mechanisms to be able to start to trust, to understand what's going on and predict outcomes and, and all that. And when, when it comes down to it, maybe there's some unicorns out there that like are really good at estimating um, software and um, I, I've never seen it. So it, I, I would love to be in a place where that, 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 that happens, but I've never seen it happen. And I honestly, I haven't heard a lot of people talk about, it. it's like, Oh yeah, we, we do estimating software all the time. And it, we're, we're really, really good at it. Um, cause I just, ha- I've, I've not seen that happen before. Um, and th- the problem is it's like software is 
extremely complex, right? There's, there's, it's nearly impossible to understand all the problems you're going to have to solve going into any single um, software project, right? There's, that's why waterfall doesn't work. It's why we have the agile manifesto. It's why we do, you know, short terms and of, of, you know, short bits of working software very, very often. And with close close customer collaboration, because we can't know all these things up front. It's the whole point of agile and, um, you know, throwing estimations <laughs> of work on top of all that, just like in, in my mind, it's, it's, it's the antithesis to, to, to the agile manifesto. I feel like all the estimation and velocity and burndowns and, and all that overhead that we've added to agile software development the outputs of those activities, of course, are going to feed back into things like your roadmap and your plan. And so now you've got the business side of the house forming expectations based off of all this overhead work that's highly uncertain. And to me, that seems to actively work against your ability to pivot and be agile. If you are, you know, setting up 18 months worth of product roadmap based off of your team's velocity, then when they have a, you know, a bad sprint where they don't deliver on their estimates, well, guess what? That whole product roadmap that you just put together based off of what your team's been doing previously all has to at least be updated, right? And, you know, God forbid you're communicating that information out to customers, you know, and setting expectations, it's just, it's brutal. And it's it's bizarre to me that we've accepted that as a, a core part of software development when, again, that that's not really a, a feature of Agile itself. So overall, um, I'd give the Agile Manifesto, what, 18 years later, I'd give it, I'd give it a seven out of 10. It's got a, it's got a good beat and you can dance to it. I agree with the values. I agree with the principles, even you know, to the to the specific way that they're they're written, um, but the way that we try to apply them into the specific agile methodologies tends to be somewhat ridiculous, and so that's why I you know I'm just I'm not a fan of Scrum, which typically speaking that's considered like none of your damn UX business. <laughs> Um, we didn't even because... get into that. That's the amazing thing about this this particular episode, right? Like we yeah. haven't talked about design nearly at all. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, generally that's left up to the dev team and we're going to decide what the methodology is and how we're going to do business or <laughs> an alternative to that, of course, being that that's going to be decided by your management team that you are going to do scrum <laughs> and we are going to benefit from the efficiencies that it magically creates. Well, that, I think that's the interesting thing is like, cause like the agile manifesto itself is not, it, 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 it doesn't, it's not exclusionary of design. In fact, it, I think it embraces it in, in several of the principles here. But if you look at a methodology like scrum, scrum is made for people writing code. I mean, it, it really is. And a, and a product owner calling the shots. Um, and that's it. And that's, that's the thing that really, for, for as a designer, like 
I, I think design can work in the ad, in agile frameworks. I think it's really difficult to do good design in a scrum methodology. Do they have women's rugby teams? I'm wondering <laughs> if we can get scrum thrown out as being gendered and broish. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to take that to our ethics uh, our ethics uh, board. I think this is a good breakdown on the actual Agile Manifesto. Like I said, every time you, you try to bring some of these critiques uh, back to the teams, you know, you get a lot of, you know, you fall down the rabbit hole of, well, that's not really Scrum or that's not really Agile. It's just what we're doing. And, you know, it, it, it's maddening. I, I think if we can, you know, get all the way back to the the Manifesto of 2001, then we can find, you know, what what is what are the things that we're hoping to get out of adopting this mindset, and then let's actually evaluate every all the activities that we're doing uh, through that lens. The reason that Scrum is so popular is because it's really easy to adopt the methodology. Right? It's like, oh, it's very specific. You have a sprint; it's this long. You have estimations. There's several ways to do that. You have a retrospective, you have daily standups and it's like, it's super easy. It's like, Oh yeah, we'll just, you know, we, we, we just roll this out. It's like, it's almost like the brainless way to do it because it's like, Hey, here's the methodology. Just do these things. Right. Um, and I think if you really want to embrace the agile methodology in, in your organization, where it makes sense for your, for your specific skill sets and, you know, product portfolio and cut, you know, corporate values and, 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 you know, uh, you know, business, um, environment, that's a lot harder, right? Because you kind of have to like take these values and then apply them to your situation where scrum is like, well, no, you just do these 10 things and that's it. And I, so I think that's why it's adopted, you know, the adoption rate is so high, but I would argue that its success rate is not as high as it could be if you actually thought about <laughs> how you applied the Agile Manifesto as opposed to just doing the things that are, you know, on this schedule and this recipe. Stop designers love. Well, as we were preparing this episode, you actually drew my attention to something that I absolutely love, uh, but had actually not really even been on my radar. And that is... The Notion app. The Notion app. What is the Notion app? Notion is an all-in-one workspace tool. They say you write, plan, collaborate, and get organized all in one tool. Um, so that includes the ability to like write notes and documents. Um, I like to compare it to like if Confluence didn't suck. <laughs> <laughs> So the first and foremost thing I love about Notion is that it runs as a Mac uh, or iOS app, or it can run in the browser. So it's uh, ubiquitous. It's, you know, your stuff is available to you wherever you are. Mm -hmm. um, and then I, you could kind of compare it to like an Evernote where it can catch all your notes uh, and tasks. Um, but kind of their their special extra horsepower thing is that you can have databases within Notion. And so in addition to having like a doc right there in the document, you can embed uh, a relational database that references items in other tables. 
Um, so you can like, if you were using it to, let's say track tasks, you could track them across several, several projects and have it roll up into a single dashboard. Um, it has all the different kinds of views that you could possibly want. So, uh, it has like a, a card, uh, Kanban style layout. It's got table layouts. The more you talk about this, the more it sounds like Jira. <laughs> <laughs> It's not, I know it's not, I'm looking at it right now and I know it's not Jira, but the words you're using. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, a that's a good like point. Jira. It's a relationship. pointed database. that out. It's got cards versus t- tables. It's got Kanban. You can track tasks across multiple things. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you pointed that out because that might be uh, damning it through faint praise. Because um, I know how much you honestly, love Jira. Oh God! Oh. Jira confluence. Oh, they they just they kill my soul a little bit. But uh, you you had the good observation. You said that wow, this has craftsmanship behind it, and I think that's the the best compliment you could pay to it. Well, the thing that I that you know after playing with it very, I mean very briefly, I've not really dug into it at all because I just saw it today. Um, after you sent me a link to it. Um, the thing that it reminds me of is um, the, the application things. Um, oh yeah, where it's yeah. like the it's it's very Mac native. So you see all the mm-hmm. you know the Mac native um, um, you know stuff, and it's um, you know so you it's like everything all the UI widgets work like you expect them to. It's got this layout of a Mac app, but you can tell like all the like the little micro interactions and stuff are very well thought out. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I think it's really, really cool. Um, I, I, you know, and I'm just talking about, you know, at the very surface level, I, I don't know all the things that it does like the, you know, being able to do task lists and tables and be able to link, link them relationally across, you know, multiple things and roll up, you know, a bunch of stuff to it. I, I haven't seen that yet, but what I can, what I'm like looking at here is like, you know, you've started to, you know, do our podcast notes for there, but it's like, you have like, a, you, it looks like you've made a template, right? So you've got the title yeah. and the, you know, the, the author and when it's scheduled and, you know, well, you know, who the guest is going to be, if we're going to have it and the show notes and things like that. So it's like you, you've been able to make your own template pretty easily, but that's not just a template you know, it's not just a superficial template. It seems like you could actually, you know, that's like actually data that you can use in a different way in a different sort of note and, 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 and roll some stuff up, which is, I think is pretty cool. So the big news with, uh, with notion, uh, recently is that they are going after Evernote, um, real hard. So they built an entire tool and site and, uh, item in their primary nav called switch from Evernote. <laughs> so, so what you're saying is they're going after me because I have, <laughs> they are very I have much. 12 years worth of yes. Evernote notes. Yeah. 12 yeah. years. I bet they can't a- and I, actually import all of them. So the worst thing about notion is their URL that's available <laughs> to you at notion.so, which is the dot Somalia. Uh, Somalia. Yes. Look at me. Look at me. I'm the captain. (laughs) (laughs) If you found this show useful, usable, and desirable, please share a quick review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Reviews help people find this show, and we appreciate your help. And remember that UX Like Us is your podcast. Follow us on Twitter at UX Like Us. And let us know who you'd like us to have on the show and what you're discussing in your own practice. I'm Roman Burkott at Superman, and Larry King is at L.A. King. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. See ya. I say Agile. You say Scrum! <laughs>